This is Taking Back the Reins podcast. I'm Dina Shale. In this show, you'll learn how to recover and thrive by working with horses through trauma-informed equine-facilitated learning, because it's time for you to take back the reins. Hello, and welcome back to Taking Back the Reins. Today, I'm joined by Georgie, who has been part of the way of the horse right from the very beginning of its journey. So welcome, Georgie. Thank you very much. Excited to have you here today. And today we're going to talk about something that I find really, really intriguing and interesting, which is the effects of alcohol and how alcohol can affect families. And so the generational trauma that can follow down the line. And also my journey as well with alcohol and how it affected me in, in my childhood. So Let's just talk a little bit about, you know, what we both know about alcohol. What what sort of effects have you found that that's had on your life, Georgie? In terms of family or do you think more personal experience? Well, I think a bit of both, really. Let's talk about, you know, you, your childhood, you growing up, and then I'll talk a bit about my childhood and how alcohol's affected me because we've done some education around alcohol and it's really intriguing and this is really what I want to share with people in the podcast. So I have grown up with on both sides of my family history of alcoholism and I use that label quite loosely because there's a lot of debate as to whether we should label people alcoholics or not and I think I'll come to that a little bit later but both sides of my family growing up I I kind of learned quite quickly that there were members of the family that struggled with alcohol for different reasons and I've also had family members really negatively affected in terms of their health because of alcohol. I grew up not really like when I sort of got to my teen years and got to 18 in the years where I started to you know be involved in drinking culture I've always been lucky enough to not really feel a dependency on it and I've sort of joked with my friends that Maybe the addiction gene that runs through my family has skipped me or skipped me, you know, my generation because I've always felt that I could take it or leave it. I think I've always felt that my dependency, my addiction, my comfort has always been food more so, which I know we'll probably come to talk about at another point because that's also something that I've had to get to the bottom of. And that's also something that I've had to resolve by losing weight and getting healthier in my later kind of teens early 20s I suppose but yeah so I think my alcohol journey I think I grew up with people drinking around me and it's quite normalized I think that's the experience that so many people have they see parents or grandparents or you know wider family drinking quite a lot that's quite a normal experience for them it's normalized in society it's accepted in society it's in supermarkets and it's everywhere available to us Um, so I saw it and I was exposed to it a lot And then as I got a little bit older and I got, you know, like like I say, sort of 18, 19, 20, I experimented with it, never really went overboard with it, never really went out all the time or anything like that. And it only started to get to sort of being 24, 25, where I started to question, is it really something that I'd like to have in my life long term? Yeah, yeah. And obviously, just thinking back to my childhood, I grew up around alcoholics my dad was an alcoholic and you know I saw lots of alcohol in my childhood with my grandparents as well you know it was a common thing for families to go out on a Thursday night Friday night Saturday night and Sunday lunchtime that was the four-day thing in in my family line 
and it it's it's one of those things that you see and you normalize and you see it as being something that is is everyday life and 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 I know through my trauma that you know and and one of the things that's really important that you know I want to share with people in this uh, in this podcast is that what I've discovered and I've I've uh, through the trauma-informed work that I've done is that alcohol has affected me and it's something that I've used to help me sleep not in the day I've never been a day drinker but at night I would always sit down with a glass of wine and it would be something that I sat down with that would really lower my nervous system right down mm-hmm. and because and, and this is something that I've discovered you know quite quite only recently is that I would drink to make me sleep because my trauma happened at that time of night so I would always be hypervigilant my body would be in this hypervigilant state because it knew that that would be when the the trauma would arise mm-hmm. and so the alcohol at night would would numb my nervous system and make me go to sleep and make me you know go to 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 rest so my journey with alcohol is that I've started to realize going through the menopause that it now has a, a, a completely different, it has an effect on me that, that I don't like anymore. I don't, I don't need to drink to go to sleep. I feel safe at night, but, but equally, you know, I wanted to stop this, this, this alcohol, you know, being part of my life, what, you know, glass or two at night, every night or a gin. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you you now see that that the effects in your family have been quite detrimental, you know, and have been quite challenging for y- your family and have been devastating for you. And, and it's always been in your life that that this alcohol addiction has had an effect on you as a young person. And, yeah. you know, there's always been big dramas around it. So obviously you know we have both done some education around alcohol and how it affects us and I think I think the the what you've discovered and what I've discovered is is really important to share with people so share a little bit about what you've learned about alcohol because you've been doing some research haven't you I have and it's actually really exciting I think um just for people that are listening a lot of the things that I've learned have come from a book called quit like a woman the radical choice to not drink in a culture obsessed with alcohol. And this was written by a lady called Holly Whitaker a few years ago, I think. It's a New York Times bestseller. I'd seen it online. I'd seen a TikTok about it. I heard, I was watching a TikTok of a woman talk about how this was like the Bible for sober curious people. So when I got to 24, just before I turned 25, I decided that I was no longer going to drink alcohol because it fit into my lifestyle of losing weight and being healthier. And I used to think to myself, why am I going to the gym five times a week and being really healthy when I'm then going to go out at the weekend and I'm going to have a couple of cocktails or I'm going to go to the bottomless brunch or, you know, whatever it might be with my friends. And just kind of, it felt like throw the progress of my week at the gym and what, you know, being really healthy down the drain. And why was I going to continue to do that just for this social contract that you go out with your friends and you're expected to have a drink? And I sort of started to reject that so I picked up this book and there's a few things I'm going to reference so if any you know listeners like what they hear then they can kind of have a look at a little bit further into it but one thing that Holly does talk about in the book is the the short to medium term effects of drinking alcohol and she has a couple of pages where she explains really thoroughly every single thing that a body will experience as soon as it drinks alcohol so it starts by prefacing that alcohol is a toxin it's a poison Our bodies are never, ever meant to or were ever meant to ingest alcohol. 
Alcohol comes from ethanol, which is used in rocket fuel, petrol, nail polish remover, all of these really toxic things that we would never consider drinking in everyday life. But uh, it's shocking, isn't it? It's yeah, shocking. Alcohol is derived and put into alcohol. Mm. It talks about how one dose is one glass. So you can have one glass of alcohol and that is the same as having a dose of any kind of drug. And I think people normalize it because it's the only legal drug and it's in the it's in shops. It's so readily available for people. So it's normal. But actually, we need to remind ourselves of what it does to us. So she she goes through on this list and she says the first thing that it does is it disrupts sleep. It will disrupt your sleep more than normal. Everybody, I think it's a widely known fact that when you go to sleep, you're meant to go through a couple of different REM cycles. So your body is supposed to go into an REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep, and alcohol disrupts that. So you're not getting the sleep that you're supposed to get, which obviously repairs your brain and it gets you ready for the next day. So that's the first thing. It also fuels anxiety. It's a depressant. So when we look at the type of drug that it is, it's a depressant drug. It takes the edge off. It actually has a counteractive process. So um, it kind of puts adrenaline into your body and then as soon as and, you and go, that's key isn't it for yeah. the nervous system and obviously yeah. you know part of the trauma-informed work has been that I've learned about the nervous system and how the nervous system the cortisol and adrenaline is pumped into the body now obviously when you put alcohol in as well yeah you know you're then you're like Stopping the body's natural flow really aren't you exactly um, so the, the adrenaline goes in and then your body like burns off the adrenaline and it causes a plummet. So it, it makes you depressed. It brings more anxiety. And then also just to lead on to what you were just saying, it impedes detoxification. That's what she says. And she says the liver, the liver is the hardest working organ in the body. And obviously it detoxifies everything that we put into our body. And alcohol basically cuts in line and makes the liver work for that alcohol more than anything else. And it impedes detoxifying everything else that we've put into our body that day. So it kind of cuts in line there. So that's one of the things that it does. It causes weight gain. It can interfere with weight loss. It causes facial redness and broken capillaries in your face. Yeah, you see that a lot in people, don't you? You know, when their noses are all red and you can always tell a drinker. And and I always think you can get these these pockets as well that go underneath your eyes. You can always tell because they're puffy. It's amazing how actually it it affects people and, and what they look like. But it's not until you get to sometimes that stage in your life where you've got something's got to change, like you, you yeah. know, you've lost your weight. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going through, gone through the menopause. I still don't know where exactly I am in it, but but it ha- definitely has affected me. And 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 you know, the effects of it now, just having one drink, just is horrible. It's, yeah, it's I think it, it does affect people in different ways, definitely. And then the last few things that Holly Whitaker mentions in the book is that it messes with your blood sugar balance. It disrupts endo, I think it's endocrine or hormone function. So especially as a woman, you know, your hormones are so dependent on what the day that you are in the cycle or if you're going through the menopause, then adding that additional hormone disruption is, is, is like really chronic for a woman. It can be a really damaging thing. And then it also causes premature aging. It destroys microbiomes in your stomach. It really destroys. And I think that's, that was really interesting when we talked about this before this, this recording, actually what that alcohol does to your system and and you know for people who are big heavy drinkers you know and I've never been a heavy drinker people who are heavy drinkers it it it, you have to ask the question of what's actually happened to the body and can it ever actually 
can it ever repair? We yeah. know the liver can repair because yeah. it, it can. It, it's the only organ in the body that can repair itself. We know that the kidney will die and the kidney completely dies and, and it cannot be resurrected where the liver can. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, people can lose their liver or their kidney because of alcoholism and too much alcohol. So, you know, what does it actually do to the stomach? Do you know? Yeah, so it says here, I mean, just having a look at it, it says, and I'll, I'll probably get the pronunciation of this wrong, but it says alcohol causes dysbiosis, which is a skewed ratio of good and bad bacteria because it kills the good gut bacteria and it allows the bad kind to flourish. Again, I'm, I'm taking from Holly Whitaker's book. It says that it causes inflammation, which may eventually lead to things like a leaky gut, brain fog, unpleasant dis digestive symptoms, and nutrition, nutritional deficiencies. And then she ends that list by saying, there isn't a single body system that isn't affected by alcohol. It's a toxin and our bodies regard it as such. And I think, like I mentioned earlier, because it's the only legalized drug across the world, really, and it's in its infancy in the way that it's being advertised and the way that it's being sold to us, people think that it's normal. People are so used to it being normal. But I think in maybe sort of 100 years time, a couple of generations down the line, I think young people will look back and think, Gosh, why were people taking? Why were people drinking alcohol in that way? In the same way that we, you know, you know, we look at advertisements for cigarettes from the 1950s when there was doctors in the adverts mm. saying that this is really healthy and cigarettes are really healthy for you. And now we look at that in kind of gross disgust, and we think, God, how were anybody? How was anybody smoking smoking cigarettes and thinking that that was healthy? I think eventually we'll get to that point with alcohol, but I think it's just because it's completely normalised and. People accept it as, you know, as a, a fact and it's, a, you know, a widely accepted thing in society that people do that. And I've definitely, I think I mentioned it to you before, but I've definitely had the experience where since turning 25 and since telling people that I'm completely sober now, for no other reason, I've had two reactions. The first reaction is that people automatically assume that I'm an alcoholic. Or <laughs> Genuinely, when I say I'm sober, there seems to be some kind of like really negative connotation with that, that I've had a really really unhealthy relationship with it so I've had to cut it out of my life completely and then the other side of that is that people really look down on me and I've had a really negative reaction of you know what are you going to do when you go out with your friends are you going to be as fun are you going to be as fun to hang around with and it almost feels like and Holly Whitaker again picks up on it so great in her book she says that it feels like we break some kind of social contract and it does it, it has definitely felt like people see it as a really bad thing which I don't really understand why but yeah know. and I think it's social conditioning isn't it you know we're socially conditioned to think mm -hmm. that going out for oh let's go out for a prosecco or yeah let's go out for a gin and like the gins now are all so well flavored aren't they and you know that they they're made to look glamorous yeah. so people are socially yeah. conditioned into buying alcoholic drinks and you know, and, and thinking that this is really cool. And, and as a teenager, you know, most young people want to experiment with it because they see yeah. people, rich people on boats or, you know, doing yeah, special it's really things, thinking it's, it's really glamorous, really glamorous. Yeah. And, and, and actually, yeah. you know, I've hated all my life drinking in the day. I could never, ever, ever drink in the day. But I do remember, you know, my parents drinking and my grandparents drinking in the day and especially on a Sunday. You know, it was the thing they went to the pub and they they, you know, came back wobbling and they'd have their dinner. And, and, and but, you know, the effects on me as a child were absolutely like devastating, really, because I grew up in this 
this this household of violence and 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 obviously yeah. abuse and, and aggression and 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 it was fueled by alcohol yeah and i think one of the things that we that that made us have the conversation about this in the first place and had us both researching into the effects of alcohol was the conversation in the tiktok video that i sent to you which was specifically how it impacts your brain. And I know that you have more knowledge to bring to it, but I know that's something that we wanted to talk about. And I'll just sort of kick that off. And when I came to you with this information, everything that I was talking about, you were saying, yeah, you know, this makes total sense. And these are the things that I teach. And it was the idea of the triune brain. So the humans having the, the triune brain, which is the three part brain. And I'll briefly explain it. And then I'm sure you can add some of your kind of insight into it. So, we have a midbrain, which is a reptilian brain. That's the oldest part of our brain. That's where the survival instinct lives. Yeah, that's right. Then we also have the neocortex, which is the kind of specifically the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. That's where our judgment, our personality, our willpower, our inhibitions, our social skills, morality, decision-making, all of that. That's where all of that lives. And we sort of have that there as well. And then we've also got the mammalian brain, which is, I think that's, I think that's, that's correct. Yeah, it's the, it's the emotional brain. So you've got the three parts. The, the yeah, one part is your thinking part of the brain, the, the bit that doesn't fully develop until you're 25 to 28. That's at the front, so pre, prefrontal cortex yeah. at the front, then mammalian, which is your emotions, and then right at the back, you've got the reptilian, which is your survival. Yeah. So basically, when you drink alcohol, again, I'm taking this info from the book that I've read and I've mentioned, when you drink alcohol, you're almost flipping a switch. So you flip the switch when you drink alcohol and you shut down your prefrontal cortex. Yep. You shut down your mammalian brain as well. Yep. And it and it makes you revert to your reptilian brain, yep. which means, and it makes so much sense when you describe it that way and you look at it that way. And Holly Whitaker describes it in a really great way. She says, if the brain is a car, the survival response, which is the midbrain, in the kind of reptilian brain that's the gas and the prefrontal cortex is the break it's the thing that teaches us control <laughs> and actually way of describing it. That off. i think that was a, a fantastic way of describing it and we shut that off so we shut off our control and we switch back to that reptilian kind of archaic brain at the back where the survival instinct lives and it basically allows us to override our rational thinking brain it puts us in the survival animal instinct that kind of overrides it and that's why you have people that are more aggressive more violent a lot more erratic when they're drunk because they are processing and living in that reptilian brain which we've not done for you know so many years and then also one of the other things was that the prefrontal cortex if you continue to abuse alcohol or drink it really frequently prefrontal cortex will lose its strength and its volume it's a muscle so when you drink alcohol it attacks the gray matter in your brain and it and it eventually has an impact on your brain and these other point parts of the brain because it's a neurotoxin so it attacks gray matter and the regions of your brain that are involved with sensory perception and things like memory and emotion so it attacks parts of your brain that are judgment based it attacks part of your brain that is rational, thoughtful. And that makes so much sense as to why you see behavior of drunk people that you do. And also, I just think if people knew that, if people were aware of how it's attacking your brain, how it kills the gray, the gray matter of your brain, it switches off the rational part of your brain. Why are people voluntarily doing, doing it? it? Yeah, but then I also think, you know, one thing that's always that's a really interesting argument in that kind of sobriety conversation is that if somebody is addicted to cigarettes, 
you don't blame the person, you blame the cigarettes because the cigarettes is the addictive thing. Mm. And I think that's where you have to tread really lightly with the idea of what is an alcoholic and do we use that term? Because again, if someone's an alcoholic, do you blame the person or do you blame the alcohol? We as a society blame the person for not being able to handle the alcohol. You can't handle it. You, you use it to excess. You can't control it. So you're an alcoholic. Whereas actually we should be blaming the alcohol. That's the addictive thing. That's the thing that's, you know, a poison. But we, we sort of don't as a society. We blame the person. And I think we need to shift from that perspective very much. Mm. I think it's fascinating how it affects the brain. And obviously, you know, we're, when we're working with the horses, we're working with you know, the reptilian brain most of the time and the, the prefrontal cortex and obviously the amygdala, the one that I can never say the word, the one that is always the alarm system in, in the brain that, that sets yeah. off the reptilian brain and, and sends it into fight and flight. Um, mm. But I, I think the way that alcohol affects your bloodstream as well, obviously it affects the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. And again, the effects of alcohol can actually last a couple of days. And what really yeah. intrigued me, and I learned from some research that I did, was that horses horses can sense that you've had alcohol for up to two days afterwards. So yeah, it stays in your system for a week, apparently. So, say again. So I think I think this is correct, but alcohol, your body is reacting to and kind of fighting off the negative effects of alcohol for up to a week after um, you drink. Yeah. That, that, that makes more sense yeah yeah and and actually you know I've had periods of time in the last couple of years where I've gone six months and not had a drink and you know occasionally I'll go back because of the, that social interaction and you know you go yeah, on holiday and you might want to have a drink or you're going out of the weekend on Friday night and you go to the pub and you want to have a drink and it, it you know it is a pattern and it's really yeah. hard to break that pattern actually and and I don't do it very often now but when I do, the impact on my body and the way I feel, like for days I can feel off. And again, I think hangovers and that kind of thing are glamorized. It's like something to be proud of and something to kind of show about, you know, if you've got this really bad hangover. And I think that, again, is something that we've socially decided is is OK. And we've, you know, we've, we've socially decided that if you drink a lot, you're going to have a really bad hangover and everyone has this shared experience. So it's OK. Oh, but I think people yeah I think it would just be really interesting if people just you know maybe spend a little bit of time researching or reading around what alcohol does and the adverse effects of alcohol and how actually and, and just picking up on what you've said actually you almost feel that you're breaking some kind of rule or that you you know are going against the norm by not drinking when you're out and about I've definitely found it to be a sacrifice. Like every single time I've gone out, it's been a very conscious thing. And I've not had, in my personal opinion, I don't think I've had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. I've always had a take it or leave it kind of relationship with it. And you didn't really go down that um, negative route as a as a teenager, did you, where you'd go out and get absolutely bladded? You know, that wasn't really your thing, was it? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I did it a couple of times, you know, through university and that kind of thing. But not really. I didn't I didn't really. And I've never really been a kind of a big drinker at home or anything like that. And do you think um, that was because of, of what you'd seen through your generations? Because obviously, you know, this this alcohol that you've seen is is a generational th thing through not, yeah. you know, not just your parents, but through your, your grandparents and, you, you know, your grand great grandparents, you know, on both sides, really. Yeah. So... I think maybe subconsciously, perhaps that had something to do with it. 
But I think consciously it was probably to do with the fact that I enjoyed fizzy pot more and I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed sugary drinks and sugary food more than I did with alcohol. And that, I think, I think it, I think it was like, you know, that's something that I took more comfort in. So I kind of went to that a little bit more, but it's definitely been a conscious decision every time I've gone out. And since I've stopped drinking alcohol, it's made me realize how many opportunities I've had to drink you know, go out with friends from work, go out with friends for my birthday, go on holiday, we're on, like, on a girl's holiday, go out on nights out, you know, I've, been, I've done all of those things, and I've still gone out and participated in those events and those nights out, I've just chosen not to drink, and I think it's made me realise the amount of opportunities that we do have to drink, and therefore how much alcohol I could have drank in those times, and in those opportunities, during those events, and I think, Every single time I've been out, I've had to really sacrifice and, and go, no, I'm definitely not going to drink. I'm going to stick to it. I'm definitely not going to drink. Because there is that social pressure and there's that social expectation that you drink. Mm. And I think if more people just realised that you can take it or leave it, mm. if you wanted to, and actually the kind of adverse effects that it has on your health long term, but also short to medium term. I think sometimes people think that, you know, what, you know, one or a couple in moder- moderation is fine. But I really liked how Hollywood could described it as one, dr- one dose is one glass. And actually it does short to medium have still some really bad impact, you know, some, some really adverse health effects, which I think is quite interesting for people to know about and kind of be educated on. Yeah. And I think, you know, in these podcasts, we try and educate people around the things that maybe they don't know about. And, you know, you can stick it on in the car and you can be listening to it and and pick that sort of information up, which, you know, everything that I learn, I want to share with people as well, because yeah. I'm on that journey of learning. And there's so many things that, you know, you can learn and, and, you know, alcohol can have a really negative effect on, on you, your life, your children, you know, and, and it takes for somebody like you to actually stop that generational thing because you're young enough to be able to stop yeah. that generational thing and stop any more trauma coming down yeah. that line which is key for families and if you have your own family then you don't want them to see some of the things that you've seen in your childhood you know with alcohol and I'm sure yeah. you you know you 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 didn't see everything in in that childhood with with alcohol I'm sure there were lots of things hidden but but you know obviously it's had some kind of effect and and if you can be the one that stops it here then your family going forward are not going to have the same patterns and the same yeah. cycles because that's what they've seen in their own parents yeah i think i am coming at this discussion and this topic from a really privileged position as somebody that's not experienced trauma myself in the sense of like childhood trauma, abuse, that kind of thing. I've not had any real inherent, clear trauma in my life as a child that has shaped my relationship with alcohol. But I do know that's the case for a lot of people. And like you mentioned at the beginning, your trauma has definitely informed your relationship with alcohol because you will drink alcohol in the evenings. I think maybe I do, yeah, to, to allow yourself to sleep. And I do think, you know, knowing the adverse and, damaging effects of alcohol is a great thing for people to be educated on but I also am aware that I'm coming at it from a really privileged position of somebody that has is able to step away somewhat quite is somewhat easily it's been a bit of a challenge but somewhat easily and and kind of educate educate myself around it but I also know that not many people are in that position because some people have have had trauma and have had you know really crushing trauma in their life which means that they have to turn to things like alcohol 
to allow them to sleep, to allow them, you know, that kind of thing. As somebody that's been through trauma and has used trauma, sorry, has used alcohol to allow them to function in the evening and go to sleep, what might you recommend for people to step away from using alcohol, but also managing their trauma? So managing their trauma, but without alcohol, have you found anything that has worked for you to allow yourself to step away from using alcohol in the evenings, more specifically for you? Yeah, I think a better routine, you know, I've I've used lots of different things over the years and, and like, you know, sort of for the last 10, 12 years of unpicking my trauma, mm-hmm. I've realised the patterns and the things that I've done to for survival. Yeah. And so the things that, that I sort of recommend now is, you know, putting down your, your phone and I don't work as late as I used to. Because also that's a trauma response. You're constantly, you know, working because you're, you know, you're needing to keep your mind busy and you don't realize it at the time. It's something that you, you do and it's something that is, is a pattern. So I don't, I don't work so much now. I, I go swimming very much in the mornings. So, you know, that helps me because I'm tired at night and I want to go to sleep. And I've actually, learn to replace the alcoholic pleasure of having that thing in your hand that is your right that's my thing that helps me go to sleep at night I now have this really boring stuff from Aldi which is hot chocolate and Derek makes it for me in the evenings and you know I go up to bed with that so my routine has changed and for me it's all about patterns you know the patterns that I do so you know you you have a pattern of going have a shower and then you get into bed with your hot chocolate and and instead I used to sit downstairs and watch the telly and then I never wanted to go to bed so I was always you know up till 12 o'clock at night because I couldn't wind down so I try and try and set that that I know what the pattern is of the alcohol of what I used to do I'd work till 10 have a glass of wine watch a bit of telly and and then I'd eventually want to go to sleep and crash and get from going to sleep to yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. because you know, bedtime was, was yeah. always negative bedtime was always a negative yeah. thing for me and and I didn't realize it until only just recently you know and again that proves that you're constantly on that healing journey yeah, um, away from the things that that you you know it's just I see it like a, a an onion you know you've got the core and essence of who you are but you're peeling back these certain layers of who you actually are and and the and the barriers that you've created and and the pieces that are of you the parts that you've created to survive yeah. and that was part of my survival mechanism you know and even as a a, a twenty a 20 year old, you know, I was still sitting down in the evenings, because I'd be on my own in the evenings. And I'd sit down because that was my comfort. It was a comfort thing that I'd created, because that's what I I did. So, you know, creating better patterns, you know, I, I read a lot more now, I like to do research, and I don't watch triggering things. So there's many things that I do, to help me sleep and and also calm the brain and 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 I'm in a you know a much more settled relationship where I don't feel unsafe but at times you know I have felt unsafe and 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 that was what the alcohol did it like knocked me out made me sleep and but I would get up feeling totally shattered and 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 grumpy even more grumpy than I have most days yeah and I think maybe to add to that as well because it might work for some people to do it differently but I, like, like I've mentioned, I, not from a position where I've had trauma myself, but where you mentioned going to swimming in the morning, 
it might also help just because this is my experience I do a lot of gym classes in the week and a lot of those gym classes are quite late at night so from sort of seven to eight o'clock that sort of period of time where you can be out at a gym class and I found that that just from my routine and my patterns that's something that I know that I love to do every day when I'm at work I know that I you know I have this plan I have this set I have this routine where I go and I work out in the evenings and when I come home I might eat before or I might eat after when I come home I eat get ready to go to bed and then I go to bed and again that feels like a really great routine but it's that kind of release of energy and and then I do feel really tired before I go to bed and I know that that works for me that helps me sleep a lot better just by having that gym class that I might go to or that dance class that I might go to or whatever it might be having that prepared and ready and be booked onto it and know that I'm going to go to that and then come home and be more tired I think again it's very similar to what you were saying about having a routine where you build up to being really tired and being ready to go to bed but not needing the alcohol to kind of add into that routine yeah and and I think a a busy like lots of exercise is really good for your cortisol as well so it helps to lower your cortisol you release any energy that you've you've you know had in your body of tension it really helps you to take your mind off things and if you're outside with horses or you know you're doing some kind of like even swimming activities you're getting into water and you're you're grounding yourself you're in nature so for me that's great you do your your gym etc and 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 I think and we'll talk again your weight loss journey because that's yeah. that's another huge story but not for today yeah. and you know we we can see obviously the benefits of exercise on the body how that affects mm. the body and how your well-being is improved but but also you know this alcohol how that can have a profound effect on your well-being your nervous system and your brain all the things that can have an effect around trauma um, around stress around anxiety you know working working hard and having a lifelong you know journey as well so you know we want to live longer lives we want to be fitter as we get older and and I think if you look after your body like you're doing at your age then then you know you get that opportunity to be slim for for the rest of your life and and well in your body and you eat well sleep well and all those things come together don't they and your anxiety is lowered as well I think it's I think it's just to add on to that kind of final point there that you made I think for me I was watching a video the other day that kind of resonated quite well and it it summed up what you were saying there a minute ago so many people are obsessed with this idea of getting a summer body and being really healthy for the next summer. So they have this like bikini summer body. But actually this video was explaining that if you think about the long term um, and think kind of further than that and think about rather than just thinking about the next summer and what you can do to get to the next summer, invest long term and invest in the kind of body that you're going to have in 50 years time, not the body you're going to have t- next year. So instead of thinking about the bikini body next year, next summer, only to then maybe go back to sort of unnatural or um, unhealthy ways in the autumn and and winter but actually invest in that 40 50 years from now what am I going to do what am I doing in my life now and what routines and habits and things am I putting into place now so that I can ensure the healthiest body in 50 years time so that you know my joints are working at a a better level my fitness is better my health is better my anxiety is better mental health you know my bones my joints my just everything my mind you know what what can I do now to invest in that future kind of like paying into your pension you know how am I paying into my adult 
older elderly lady body how am I paying into that now and what can I do I thought it was a really really interesting way of putting it it is every month but how are you paying into that investment in 50 years time of having the healthiest lifestyle when you retire you know for example and I think that's a really nice mindset to have yeah and and I think to to encapsulate this whole conversation that we've had today I I think looking after yourself on a long longer term looking at the longer term picture is really important understand starting to educate yourself around the nervous system because the nervous system is your like your the, the way that you function if you know when we had the the nurses and the doctors in during the pandemic I was gobsmacked to find that they didn't know how the nervous system worked it was like what what surely that should be in your syllabus of learning and, and so you know for me it was really like strange that that they didn't have that education and obviously I have a nurse that works for me now so you know Educating yourself is key to your long-term health. No, learning about this nervous system, but also learning about how your brain functions as well. And, and you know, you're in a really strong position. You're young, but you've got this education where you are really, really savvy with looking at the long-term picture of your health and your well-being and how that can all affect you on a long-term basis. But also by cutting out this alcohol, how that can will actually massively benefit you on a long-term basis. And, and if we can cut it out as we get older and we start to realise the effects are profound on your body, because it doesn't, it doesn't cope with it, you know, as you get older, it sort of goes, no, can't have that now. You, you know, you you shouldn't be shouldn't be drinking and you you have one gin of a weekend and you feel sh- that horrible word all weekend. I'm not going to say it, the, be- the one beginning with S. So, you know, you feel rubbish at yeah. the end of the weekend because you've actually, you know, your body's been getting rid of this toxin. And the longer you're off alcohol, the the, the worse just one is. So, so yeah. So let's let's come to a conclusion. And, and thank you for joining me, Georgie. It's been great to talk to you. And I'm sure we could talk forever and ever. But for anybody yeah. that's listening, what was the book called again? Yeah, so a lot of the things that I've been talking about today and a lot of the information that I've taken from has been from my research from the book by Holly Whitaker, New York number one, New York Times number one bestseller. It's called Quit Like a Woman, The Radical Choice to Not Drink in a Culture Obsessed with Alcohol. I would highly recommend it to anybody. I've absolutely loved reading it. There's so much in here now of all of my notes and my annotations and things that I'll definitely sort of take moving forward and remember for a really long time she explains everything so well she has incredible ways of explaining things she has incredible ways of sort of getting around the scientific side of it and and kind of putting it into layman's terms and it's a really easy book to read so I would recommend it to anybody that's sort of so curious or just wanting to learn about the effects of alcohol and what we'll do is we'll in the the comments at the bottom in the speaker's notes we will put that book into the speaker's yeah. notes for anybody to find yeah. and maybe we need to tag her on Instagram and we need to find her on one of the social media platforms and let her know that we've been talking about her book today because obviously you know between us it's had a great impact and I loved hearing about what you've learned in the book because it is really interesting and for anybody that is wanting to become more trauma informed this has been a real key 
you know, part because it, it just makes everything make even more sense to me. And it's a great fact to pass on to people and educate people that come through in, in through the programme. So thank you, Georgie, for joining me today. And I hope that everybody's enjoyed the Taking Back the Reins episode today. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Taking Back the Reins with me, Dina Shale. I'd love for you to find out more about how you can recover with horses. Come and join my free Facebook group, Highway to Healing.